Welcome to the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast, episode number 103. My name is Christopher Luft, and I will be your host. On today's episode, we're going to be chatting with Maxime lamoth Brassard, the founder and CEO of Lima Charlie, the maker of the SecOps Cloud Platform. My guest today is Maxime lamoth Brassard. Maxime started his career in cybersecurity as part of the Canadian intelligence apparatus, where he worked in positions ranging from development of cyber defense technologies, counter-computer network exploitation, and counter-intelligence. After his time in the government, Maxime was an early employee at CrowdStrike before joining the security ranks at Google, where he eventually joined Google X and became one of the founding members of Chronicle Security. In 2018, Maxime left Chronicle to found Lima Charlie, where he currently serves as CEO. Thanks for being with us on the show today, Maxime. Happy to be here. Awesome. So yeah, I really wanted to talk to you on the show about some ideas that came out of a talk you gave at the Mission Control Security Conference. You spoke at a very high level about some fundamental problems in a way that most of us in the industry are approaching cybersecurity, almost like a broken thought model. I thought it was very insightful and would love to dive into it. That sounds good. All right. So one of the first things from your talk that jumped out at me was when you said, and I'm ad-libbing here, that most of us in this industry are confusing high-level desires with products. I thought it was a really astute observation. Can you expand on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I think the industry has gotten used to to thinking in acronyms, right? Uh, there, there's kind of a historical reasons, right? Meaning that cybersecurity was not born on you know today and uh, kind of taken a whole uh, a whole organization that makes sense today. Um, it was born out of a time where even IT was really, really obscure most people didn't understand technology at all and then kind of over time slowly kind of uh you know became a, a more of a thing and got defined and what that means is that a lot of the things that today we want to do historically at one point in time those things were you know secret sauce or they were you know really you know super secret or they were uh, cutting edge and that's perfectly natural, but it also means that uh, because they evolved that way, that the industry and, and analysts in the industry and, and everybody got used to thinking about those as a specific acronym, right? Like they got used to thinking, hey, I need to automate stuff. Okay, you know, this is this is a new requirement at one point in time. What do you mean, I, you know, automate between different platforms and orchestrate stuff? Okay. How are we going to do this? Well, we need something new, cutting edge, you know, brand new thought, right? And let's call this SOAR. And okay, SOAR is the bucket. Let's put things into SOAR. And that made sense. Um, you can kind of also think a little bit about it, like the Gartner hype cycle, right? Where, you know, new things have like early adopters and then a ton of comp companies jump like on the bandwagon and like build products. And then over time, people start to understand what the actual value behind those products are, right? And so in the, I, I'm just picking SOAR as one example. I'm not picking on SOAR in, in general. But yeah, so, so there's kind of a, a phase now where people have been orchestrating for a while. It's not a new concept anymore. Most, like, you don't have to convince people that you need to orchestrate things and that there's ways that you can structure products to go and do these things. But we're still thinking about it as an acronym and not as just a fundamental set of requirements. It, to me, it's a little bit, uh, you know, like if we were thinking about, uh, about some IT, you know, IT primitives that like at one point were really, really cutting edge, like virtual machines, right? And when somebody describes your, you know, their environment, they don't spend 20 minutes going, you know, over how the virtual machine is structured and like, you know, what, what kind of APIs it has and what kind of like features and blah, blah, blah. Now it's just, yeah, we get it, right? We, I need compute. People talk about compute, not directly often about a virtual machine. So all this to say, I, I think a lot of people are so used to thinking in terms of that acronym that it ends up restricting how they think about assembling that in their own in their own environment they don't think in terms of 
you know, what exactly do I need to have orchestrated? You know, what, what matters? What, you know, what part of my infrastructure needs to what other part of my infrastructure? What's the requirement behind that? They think I need SOAR. So there's a checkbox on my list that says SOAR and I have to check it. And if I check it, I will be safe. And that is exactly where we don't want to be, right? We, we don't want to be thinking in terms of, of checkboxes. We want to be thinking in terms of fundamental requirements. So that's kind of what I meant. Instead of understanding the problem and the best way to solve it, you're thinking about which product can solve this problem that I'm having. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, and it's, it's which product and the reality is a lot of those products don't have to be products anymore, right? My, and maybe that's a contentious statement, but my firm belief is that a lot of the categories, a lot of the acronym in cybersecurity don't have to be products. They're really features at that point, right? They used to be products because they were, you know, brand new, very unique, and they had, you know, 500 features going along with it. And then we've kind of now figured out, you know, what's the, what's the 30 features you actually need, like really actually matter. But because we're still stuck thinking in terms of SOAR, in terms of, you know, that acronym, it limits a lot of the possibilities that we see in front of us, right? If, if your first thing is, I'm going to buy this thing. And now, you know, what, what use do I make of this thing? That's very limiting compared to going the other way around and saying like, okay, what's the, the, the fundamental things I'm trying to solve? And oh, well, it turns out that that part of the automation is now built into all these other products. And I don't, you know, I don't necessarily need that. It's a feature. It's not a product. Would a good analogy be like, you know, 15 years ago, if you wanted a database, you had to go to Oracle and, and get this product. Whereas now you just go into AWS and you have an S3 bucket or these things just become features of the platform. Exactly, exactly, right? Like you you go to DynamoDB just to get some kind of, of NoSQL database. You don't, for most people, you don't necessarily care so much about what's the brand name behind it. It's because, you know, you're not, if you go to, what is it? I'm not a big AWS guy, ironically, but like, you know, I think Redshift, I want to say on um, on AWS, right? Like if you go to that, you're probably not getting, you know, all the features of like Oracle database G512B or whatever it's called. But the reality is, you know, do you need that, right? So it's that same kind of like mentality. You're you're also not getting the contracts and the sales cycle and all that stuff either though, right? <laughs> oh, exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Which is kind of, yeah, the next question I have was, Having this product-focused approach to thing makes things messy on the technical side because you've got to integrate all these different things and you, you, it's kind of a black box. You don't always understand what's happening, but it also creates a huge amount of overhead for the business. I think it was Gartner that said the average enterprise has 70 tools and each one of those probably has a different vendor, contracts that need to be negotiated and whatever else. So it's a problem that people have tried to solve, but I don't think it's they've done it in a great way. And in your talk, you refer to this as the Pokemon approach. Can you explain what you mean by this? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think it's um, it's it's a it's a response from people in the industry. It's a natural response from people in the industry to to the evolution of complexity in in cybersecurity, right? So the, the summary version of that that approach, in my mind, is well, the joke is you have to collect them all, right? So. Hey, I need to do security at company X because company X got hacked last week. And, you know, we, we just got to then realize security is a thing. Okay. What's the list of acronym that I need to get? And I got to collect them all. I'm going to go one by one. I'm going to go see like 10 vendors and I'm going to get a quote and then I'm going to kind of do the whole thing. And that's fine. Uh, in the sense that it's, uh, look, you know, I don't think anybody's to blame, right? It's it's an evolution of the industry. But let me put it this way: I, I, you know, I always make the comparison with with AWS because I, you know, I think they're they're many years ahead of us, uh, us meaning cybersecurity. But imagine today, 
if you looked at a, you know, average company that, that has tech, um, that they build in AWS and you said, okay, we're going to go and look at every single API, like everything that you use in AWS. And we're going to say, you know what? We need a vendor for that, right? What is my managed MySQL vendor? What is my NoSQL database vendor? What's my virtual database vendor? What's my storage, like block storage vendor? What's my managed queue vendor? Like if, if we lined all of those up, right? Just kill me. Like this is, <laughs> this is, this is awful. And, and so I think we can, we can kind of tell the overhead that that would be yet. If we flip to cybersecurity, now we're kind of, we're kind of blind in a weird way to like that exact same suite of problems. And, and it's, and it's awful, I think, for, for everybody. Now, thankfully, I think we, we have our, our older brother in, in, you know, tech that we can look forward and go like, okay, you know, that's a solved problem. Like, how does that work? Like, where does that go? So, yeah, I'm, Curious what you think an ideal solution looks like. And here I kind of feel like maybe I'm turning this into a commercial for the SecOps cloud platform. But, you know, obviously we think this way. So I, I just would like you to kind of talk about how you think we solve this problem properly. Yeah. And that's and that's the right way to frame it. Right. Like uh, like you said, like, obviously, we believe we, we, we do what we believe. Right. So let's not hide it. Um, that being said, fundamentally, we can we can easily talk about the direction without talking about the specific solution, which is let, let, let's do that. Right. So the right way to do that is to look, there, there's a long way to, to describe a cloud provider, but it's really the long way of describing cloud provider, which the, the characteristics that are kind of important. I think maybe that's the best way to, to add value to the discussion is that, um, the cloud provider is not just about the product, right? Offering a, a product to somebody <clears throat> and making it easy to buy. Like certainly it's part of it, but it's the structure of like how you view that product and how you make it and who you make it accessible to. So how you view the product means that you're not looking at the product as a fully opinionated, like this is, you know, the thing, right? If, you, if you're looking at, at, at accumulating a bunch of products and each product is highly opinionated, what I mean by that is, you know, the product tells you these are the three ways that you can go and do X. And, you know, here's the GUI to do it. And this is the only way you do it. You know, in uh, put it in like let's say uh, sim or like ticketing terms, right? Like, well, an incident is like the first level of the thing, and then you can promote it to an alert, and then alerts can be assigned to a single person that's the owner of that alert, and you know, like those are kind of all opinions about how you run ticketing or the process of doing a sim and and, and ticketing in a company. So you have to be unopinionated, and that is. To enable people, what I mean people, to enable organizations using these to, to get those pieces of the puzzle that they use to connect easily. If everything is highly opinionated, no two people have the exact same opinion, right? No two products have the exact same opinion, and that's how you end up with, with trouble. So that's, that's a lesson that, that IT's learned right over the years, uh, when you have things like APIs and, you know, JSON and ways of kind of interconnecting systems. So having their highly unopinionated product. The other part is who you make it available to. And what that means is if we all have different products that live in very different places, right? Uh, my, my SIM lives on prem. Uh, my EDR lives in some kind of cloud. I, I don't know. Like it's in the cloud, but it's managed by like that vendor and nothing, like nothing else. You know, it's a black box to me. 
And my XDR lives also in the cloud somewhere else that's a different black box to me. And, you know, each one of those, uh, you know, offers like a very limited set of APIs because they're highly opinionated. And, uh, and that, what that brings is the, it, it forces new players in the space to go and do the exact same thing, meaning to create their own, you know, walled castle, like opaque black box thing. And that's just perpetuating the current type of ecosystem that we have. So what you want is you want to have these capabilities fundamentally open to everybody. So, you, you, you know, you want this to be a sandbox. And I don't just mean here's a sandbox that's available to, you know, everybody where the definition of everybody is all companies with more than 20,000 endpoints willing to pay more than a million dollars a year on five years contract. That's not everybody, right? I really mean everybody, right? And look, AWS, if you have a credit card, you're on AWS, right? Uh, if I build something in AWS and you build something on AWS, we're talking the same language. We're understanding the same concept. It's not that we have the same opinion, but at least we're in the same, uh, you know, like dimension of reality is how I see it, right? Like we're in the same physical landscape. And that allows us then to start building on top of each other. And when I say on top, I really mean like in a positive way, right? It allows somebody that builds this great solution to do uh, observability for like Kubernetes in AWS to start playing with this other company that like builds, you know, uh, data lakes in AWS, right? They're in the same dimension. They can start playing with each other a lot more easily. And now if I'm starting a new company, I don't have to rebuild all IT from scratch. I can fundamentally say, you know what? I'm going to play in the AWS like ecosystem with these APIs and these APIs. And we kind of all understand each other. And now, you know, we, we don't have to rebuild it all. So that is the other part that we really need here. Yeah. It's like we all become a part of the same fabric. And speaking to your comment on the unopinionated part, I could see the highest measure of success being when people start to build things for which the people that put the building blocks together never even saw as a possibility. That is exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, it, otherwise, uh, I, I often kind of put it in those words, but I, I don't want, there's so many bright people in security that that are just amazing and have so such interesting ideas. And when the barrier of entry for them to do pretty much anything is, well, you've got to go and raise $5 million so you can rebuild the exact same part of the stack as everybody else. That just kills me inside uh, because that is un unmet potential, right? Like it's those people will just won't, or they'll be very limited by what they do. Whereas I think, that has been the beauty of cloud providers is it's lowered the bar for everybody. It's meant everybody can play together. And that is what has driven innovation forward. Yeah. And the outcome from that benefits everybody. And in the terms of cybersecurity, it's going to be the mission. You know, we're all going to live safer, better lives because we have the smartest people able to have an impact in the world without needing to go get funding and have a BC and all that kind of stuff involved at those early stages. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, it doesn't matter what the what the vendor is. No vendor has a monopoly on great ideas and the best people and, you know, has some kind of like magic solution that somehow is going to solve all of, of people's problem on earth for security. And now, you know, now it's the checkbox that ruled them all. And now everybody's safe, right? It is just not going to happen. What's going to happen is people with great ideas, pushing ideas forward and making it really, really hard for, for, uh, for attackers to be able to keep having kind of the, the attackers advantage. The, the checkbox to rule them all. I, I think we might have to figure out how that becomes a t-shirt. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So Lima Charlie makes a SecOps cloud platform, which is an approach like what we've been talking about. And it does a lot of the things you'd expect, log ingestion, EDR, but it also has a bunch of capabilities that I think are pretty unique. So I'd love to talk about a few of those if you're up for it. 
Absolutely. The one I want to talk about first is the endpoint bus as a service. I think this really speaks to what you were saying earlier about not having to reinvent the wheel. And I think it's super cool. So do you want to explain what that is and how it's different from anything out there? Sure, absolutely. So it, it's it's different from anything out there, but it's also an extension of how other people have thought about other, you know, other aspects, right? So here, here's what it is. And uh, yeah, let's let's start from there. So Endpoint Bus as a Service is us making the statement that, you know, if you go and you talk to people in the industry, everybody wants one more agent, right? Like, I think that's that's the one, right? Everybody wants more <laughs> agents. I, I remember hearing that all the time. So I, I, clearly tongue in cheek. Uh, the idea is, you know, a lot of people want to do things that require an agent. And when I say that, I really mean it in a very kind of vague and unopinionated way, right? They need to see things happening on an endpoint and they need to make things happening uh, as a response on an endpoint. That's kind of like the, the, the vaguest statement that that's really the ground truth. And so I've, you know, I've over the years talked to so many people, again, that had those great ideas looked at, uh, hey, I think I might start a business. And then looked at, I need to have an agent on all the platforms out there. Ouch, right? This That's one of those kind of uh, pivoting point where, okay, you're going to have to go and raise a couple million dollars to start building the really big thing. Mac OS, Windows, Linux, the nice. different kernels, the different, like, there's so many things involved in that. It's more than just the three operating systems. There's, like, that, layers to that. Oh, yeah. If if I had to nickel for every time uh, a megacorp told me we're going to build it ourselves <laughs> and 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 told me that a, a few years in a row uh, when when couldn't make it happen, I, I wouldn't be that wealthy, but it'd be interesting. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... So that agent, right? Yeah, we, we, you know, why, why do we need to rebuild the whole thing? It's such a difficult problem. It's also such a non-differentiated problem, right? Um, and meaning there was a point in time where EDR, for example, right, was the, the hotness, right? It was the secret sauce. And, uh, I don't know, for me, it's like carbon black is what sticks in my mind, right? Like the, the first real big EDR. But that's not the case anymore. And there's a lot of different use cases that people have that requires that, that require that presence, but that cannot use that presence in an, it, when it's provided in a highly opinionated way. Here's what I mean. One could say, Hey, I have an antivirus, right? And it's deployed on like all of these endpoints. It's an agent. Um, let's reuse that. That's fine, but what happens when you don't want that antivirus, right? Where I want the agent presence to be able to get, you know, DNS and uh, NetFlow information from the endpoint, and I'm going to do some like really clever analysis in the cloud, do some detection, and then, you know, in real time go and, I don't know, kill network connections and things like that in response. Now, my barrier or the barrier of entry to my potential customers is, well, you need to have that antivirus installed. You need to be a paying customer of that antivirus customer, right? Like there's kind of a, a bunch of, of opinions that come uh, with that. And that's that's problematic. It's kind of like saying, you know, I, to use EC2 in AWS, I have to use, I don't know, you know, like salt stack and like it has to be Red Hat and I need like Prometheus mon like monitoring on that and, and, and. And you're like, okay, well, now that's a lot of assumptions based on, on what I want to do. So very problematic. Fundamentally, what we're doing is we're saying, you know what? We have an agent. We're going to look at the core of those, you know, those minimal uh, uh, kind of requirements in terms of opinion. And we're going to build that in. And then we're going to allow people to go and augment that. So that means the core is really kind of, um, you know, connection to the cloud. It's got to be bi-directional. It's got to be real time, has to provide, uh, obviously encryption, uh, authentication and identity, right? Like being able to identify a specific agent, but that's about it. 
And we are building our own platform in that, in that ecosystem ourselves, right? So our, you know, we have an EDR like in Lima Charlie and it uses endpoint bus as a service, uh, ourselves. So all we're really doing is we're opening that up. So now if you're doing that, you know, that network connectivity analysis stuff, you could build your own, you know, module. It could be your own intellectual property. And you could go and deploy it through our agent. It doesn't require our EDR to be deployed or any of those things, but it can be there. And beyond that, you also get uh, the same kind of philosophy applied to a lot of the processing in the cloud. So, right, the, if you're building that that networking thing, the next thing you're going to think about is, Okay, now I'm going to get like a bunch of these events in the cloud and like I need to, you know, do slightly different things depending on, on the event that's coming back from the endpoint or I need, need to do this and that analysis. A lot of those use cases are pretty generic. And again, we're, we're building that sandbox for ourselves. And now we're just, we're making it open for everybody that wants to build things. We're not saying you have to build exactly, you know, the same thing that like that we do kind of thing. We're just highly opinionated, opening it up so that we can drive again more innovation, like more people building cool things, uh, building cool products, going to market with those products, right? That's kind of the other, the other part of this is if, um, if we required like, oh, the Lima Charlie EDR has to be there, then it means you're trying to build a company. Well, like the barrier of entry is the cost of an EDR to every single customer that won't fly. Um, and so with we're OEM friendly is kind of how we say it. So that means you can build a product on top of Lima Charlie and kind of do it. However, you know, that very different economics. Yeah. Yeah. The pricing such that there's a big enough margin for you to make your own business on top of that. Yeah, exactly. And as you mentioned, we built our EDR on top of Endpoint Bus as a service. And a byproduct of that is we've been able to make a really cool new product within the EDR space that we're calling Sleeper Mode. Do you want to talk about that and what the benefits of that are? And sure, sorry, sure. I know I'm turning this into a commercial. Uh, now, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. It's so. I mean, here's here's the here's what what's cool about this for me, right? Like with a minus the the pitch side of thing. Like look, the the value will will sell itself. That's fine. Here's what makes me really happy about this. It's that all the things I'm talking about, like, hey, we need, you know, this, this kind of open sandbox and people need to be able to play and things need to be unopinionated and APIs. If you, if you want an exact sort of, uh, kind of, um, classic outcome of those types of environments to me, like sleeper mode is one of those, right? Where we never thought about it this way. It's not like we, you know, we planned it, uh, you know, over like a, a five year development plan and like we're going to have this feature build around like blah, 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 you know, th this API and this thing. We just built the Lego blocks, right? We built the environment. We did, we built the things unopinionated. And then what we ended up with is at some point kind of sitting back and having that realization of like, huh, I, I guess we kind of built this thing without realizing that, that this thing was possible, right? If you put these things together, now you, you end up with something completely different. And so to, to kind of like describe it exactly, the, the whole point of sleeper mode is if you think of endpoint bus as a service and you're saying, you know, there's this agent, but by default, like fundamentally it doesn't have to do anything, right? It's, it's, you kind of tell it what to do. It means like, okay, we, we have this agent that it can live. And it will have identity, right? Like here's the, the you know, the identity of that, of that endpoint and it's going to connect to the cloud. We're going to be able to talk to it bi-directionally, you know, whenever we need it. And we have this whole pipeline like in the cloud to like manage the life cycle of, you know, what gets loaded where. Well, that means we could deploy those agents pretty much everywhere for next to nothing, right? Which is like the, the first time you kind of think about it, it's like, it's not necessarily obvious, right? But it's like, yeah, it, it's like a little bit of nothing deployed everywhere that, that doesn't really do anything. Okay, fine. But it means that we get to choose when we want it to load something interesting, right? When, when we want it to now behave as an EDR. And 
when we kind of connected those dots, the thought wasn't, hey, how do we monetize, you know, the hell out of like, what's, what's the, the one penny limit that we can possibly charge everybody where like the whole product is around that sleeper mode thing. We kind of looked at it from the perspective of like, well, it costs next to nothing for it to run. Let, let's make that possible for users and see what people do with it. And so that's what we did, right? We, we built the sleeper mode and we said, well, you know, if you deploy the agent and, you know, you, you put a tag on that, that sensor, you, that tag is like sleeper. Well, nothing's going to load on there and it's just going to be there. And you're going to get billed like, you know, per second connected, but it's like, I forget what our pricing is. It's next to nothing. And when people want, they can, you know, remove that tag. And now like it can behave as an EDR and they can go and do more things. And it's super cool because what we kind of saw is a bunch of people connecting the dots in their own specialization, right? Look, first one is like IR people connected the dots really, really fast where they went like, well, I talk to customers all the time. They don't like having agents deployed that take a bunch of resources. Maybe they already have an antivirus and they're happy with it, right? Don't want to pay for the cost of an EDR. They don't see the value, whatever. Um, and they don't want the resource consumption there. But at the same time, there's a huge barrier when there's an incident. Because when there's an incident, what's our playbook say? Spend two days going and talking to the sysadmins trying to get the thing deployed across all of their network. And that's that's just time wasted. It's like resources, you know, all that that stuff. So, well, if we go and we deploy this thing that does nothing, it doesn't consume resources. Okay, that's good. And we can do this when there's no fire. The house is not on fire. We can take our time. We can get people to go and deploy it. And everybody, you know, it's simple. Everybody is happy about it. That's good. And the day that something happens, we're not called when there's a fire to go and try to deploy the thing as quickly as possible. We have the sort of the luxury of saying, Hey, uh, where, you know, where's your concern in the company? Oh, you'd think somebody, you know, something happened in the finance department. Okay. Let's light up the finance department for an hour. We're going to go do our investigation, see what's happening. And when that's done, then we'll just put it back to sleep, assuming that, that everything was fine. And if it's not, then again, in a couple of seconds, we're just, we'll light up the whole company and we'll be able to kind of go and do like all the, the, the cool, you know, hunting uh, side of things. But to do, to be able to offer this, it's a thing that that's not really offered. It's sort of like offered in weird contractual ways by some vendor. Uh, what I mean is like, oh, you can totally go and deploy, you know, tool X for free, except that, you know, the, it's, the, it's with the understanding that they're going to try to convert that customer to like their MDR service, like when they need something or something hits the fan. And now you're just, you're just a schmuck that went and installed the product for, <laughs> for the big vendor, right? And that's not, that's yeah. not cool. Yeah. I love this one. I know one of our customers has an SLA of 20 minutes for their customers on retainer. And I just think that's, that's, you know, unmatched in, in what a competitive advantage for them, right? That's right. That's right. Okay. So the final capability I want to talk about is one that I think is not inherent in many cybersecurity products, if any, and that's sort of data observability and optimization. Can can you explain what this is and how Lima Charlie does this? Yeah. Um so this one's kind of interesting for 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 slightly from a different perspective. I think it connects a lot more to um earlier when we were talking about, you know, what's a product what's a product and what's a feature. And Again, as we built LC, right, in unopinionated way and kind of built all those capabilities, I, I think we kind of stumbled across a bunch of those use cases where, look, you know, we're, we're not saying we're an observability product, right? Like, like Lima Charlie doesn't do like, you know, donut dashboards and, you know, pretty graphs kind of thing. That's just not, that's not our niche. But there's a lot of use cases that we found that just kind of emerge out of the capabilities that we have. And so I think that's, that's really like essentially that characteristics uh, of LC, which uh, is we always had the capability to go and say, hey, 
I've got like all this data coming into LC. Um, you know, maybe I've got some EDR, I've got some Defender, I've got some like uh, Office 365 audit logs, I've got this and that, like all data flows in. And we always had the capability to say, hey, you know what? Take this, like this event from Windows Defender and, you know, send it to X. And because our approach again is very unopinionated for us, uh, you know, when we do that, that kind of forwarding, we're not looking at it as what's the product that I'm sending this to, right? We're kind of, I, I think we should be past that at this point in, in cybersecurity as well as, as we already are in tech, meaning it's not about what's at the other end. It's about the technology used to send something, right? So if we send data into S3, we don't care what's at the other end consuming it. We're just going to make it as easily digestible as possible. And we're going to put in a generic way in S3. We're going to do the same thing in Kafka. Like it doesn't matter. And so we had this, this ability to go and send data out, right? Stream data outside as it, as it came in. And we realized that we, there's very little needed for us to kind of add a little bit to that and add um, transforms into this. And we had this automation engine as well, right? Like we've got an automation engine that runs like at wire speed. And we realized that, well, sometimes you don't want to send all, like all events of like, I don't know, DNS, you know, from Defender into some other system. Sometimes you want to be really, really narrow. Then you say, well, we've got this automation engine. It's generic, can kind of plug into anything. We've got this output layer and it's generic. That's great. So let's just make it so that now we can create automation rules that say, hey, this one event, based on whatever set of criteria you care about, right? Like we're unopinionated. Uh, you can go and have it sent to this one output. That's what we call like the forwarding, right? To like a webhook here or a Kafka there. And then we layered on top of that, you know, very kind of simple language to do transformation over this data. Because again, we said like we're we're right in that layer. Okay, well now I don't want the whole Defender DNS data, right? I know it's like two kilobytes per like DNS request. Probably the worst, the worst uh like uh size of the original <laughs> event to the the final size. Um, so we said okay, well maybe you know all I care about is like the host name and then the anonymized domain name, and like that's the thing I care about. And that's what I want to send out. And so using the transports to go and apply that. And, and again, as you kind of connect all those dots, right? Like you, 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 you use these unopinionated layers together. What you end up with is the ability to say, you know what? I, the, the, my, the picture of my infrastructure before this was I have, you know, I, I don't know, a hundred different, uh, sources of telemetry. Each of them is engineered to go into Splunk specifically, and I pay a million dollars a year for Splunk. I, you know, I have everything available at all times for my entire retention period, like flat. And now you can start looking at it very differently where you say, well, you know, collecting the telemetry doesn't have to be baked in a hundred percent with, you know, where it ends up being. And the, the parts of the telemetry that I care about automating stuff with doesn't have to be the same as retaining long-term. And, you know, my, my compliance tool doesn't need the bulk of the information available from this tool. It really just needs these bits. And now you can start really optimizing a lot about the usage you make of these other tools. And it turns out that's a very valuable thing for a lot of people, right? Because now instead of paying a million dollars a year, of uh, flat retention with Splunk for like three months of retention, maybe you're down to paying like $10,000 a year with, you know, a year of full retention plus like three months of what you actually need to go and, and do in Splunk, right? So it, it really, the, that's the, uh, actually, it's a great example of not thinking about the acronym. In this case, I'd say like data lake, right? Like data lake isn't the thing you need. The thing you need is the use case, right? Well, I need this type of information easily available in a data lake. Okay. Now you can, you can walk back and build a stack that is 
infinitely better pretty much you know through through every metric so that's kind of the the idea yeah and i'll I'll stop i want to keep going and talk about all the amazing like features and the nuances of how we're good and we save money and all that stuff but i think we've i think we've really covered the philosophy at a high level and i think we've demonstrated a couple examples that really highlight the kind of things that are possible with this approach and I'll, I'll I'll jump in just for a sec because like look you're I, I mean obviously like we said right like I I you know we build the stuff that we like and that we believe in. That being said, all the things that we that we talked about they're not they're not secret sauce right. Like we're not saying I have this magic blockchain AI ML thing that detects all the bad guys. It's very you know it's very kind of open technology and so the the kind of thing I'll put in the world is. I and and you know we think that this is the way to build the feature and it's really cool. If you agree, like yeah, if you want to come with us, like that's fine, right? We're we're on the bus, we're going that direction. But <laughs> I think it's it's super exciting to see other people also going in that direction. So, you know, don't think about this as well, I guess Lima Charlie has the one, you know, magic thing as much as yeah, I like the way that they're thinking and, and the direction that it's going. And hopefully other people will, you know, will follow suit, right? Just like, just like cloud providers. And hey, yeah, no, I love it. Like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's like a fabric and it doesn't mean that we're every component of that. It's a philosophy where this future can exist, right? Exactly. So, okay. The SecOps cloud platform doesn't stop where it is today. What's, what's the long-term vision? How does this thing grow? What's the final form? Is there a final form? (laughs) <laughs> that's a great yeah is there a final <laughs> form final form isn't that like uh, pokemon language too right oh yeah yeah, right, yeah, yeah i just got that <laughs> hey and i'll let you know that uh, our director of marketing made it very clear to me that i should not say pokemon and that it's pokemon <laughs> i think i missed that a little bit i'm a little okay. bit older than that generation so i'm thank thank you charlton for the heads up yeah, same here i i know of it i was never really a huge in, into that stuff um yeah. So what's, what's the, you know, where's it going? What's the final form? So it's a great question. Um, and I would kind of describe it functionally. Uh, what I mean by that is like, it's not an absolute, it's, it's a way of thinking about its evolution. So the way of thinking about its evolution is as cybersecurity keeps growing, keeps reflecting upon itself, right? Like I talk it, uh, about it all the time, like the MITRE attack framework, right? I think it's beautiful. It, 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 look, people can debate about the nuance and, you know, what, what part is valuable or not. But the fact that as an industry, we're really, you know, going forward and putting a pretty much standard saying, this is how we think about the various techniques and the forms of attacks. And, you know, we're putting structure around it. That's great. So as we keep doing that, more and more of what what's done becomes old news, right? So there's a lot about innovation. So a lot of things are going to be super cutting edge. You know, I kind of joke like, you know, tongue in cheek about like secret sauce and all that. But a lot of people do have secret sauce and like very rightfully so, right? Like that's the innovative stuff. But as we keep going, there's a point where the secret sauce is 10 years old and everybody knows that it's like, I don't know you know, ketchup and, uh, and some peppers or something. <laughs> and, and when that happens, the, um, the, the, the SecOps cloud platform, you know, which is kind of like this, this vision and philosophy we're kind of putting forward, um, starts to embed those things, not in their original form, right? It's not about like replicating that thing that was cutting edge. It's kind of about looking at that thing that was cutting edge and saying, okay, now it's been 10 years. Where's the, where's the, the, the big value behind it? What are the use cases that people, you know, need to use day in, day out that don't necessarily have to be a standalone product? And those slowly get incorporated, you know, as primitives into, into a SecOps cloud platform. They become boring is, is really kind of how I think about it. So as they become boring, they are transformed in a way and start being adopted so that people can build from that. As I'm kind of saying it like out loud, I'm kind of thinking in terms of like the, pa- the 
the patent system, right? Some of the, the, the drive behind a patent system is to get people talking about what they, what they do and how they do it will protect them. But eventually this has to benefit everybody, right? So this has to kind of go back to all the things that humanity can, that society can build on top of. So that's the type of, of relationship that I can see. So, you know, um, what's, you know, where, where does it go? I mean, it's, it's kind of, you know, saying anybody's guess is not the right, like the right uh, way to put it. But I think everybody can kind of think about, let's say, you know, the two, three categories in cybersecurity that you go like, oh, yeah, I remember when that was new, like, you know, five, 10 years ago. And I kind of wish I didn't have to deal with the whole vendor behind it, because really, these days, all I care about are like these 10 use cases. And that's exactly where where it goes. And then on the positive side of like that, the other side of that equation is more and more cool stuff gets built um, and it gets built quickly, right? So if if it takes you raising $10 million and five years to test an idea, few people will test that idea. But if you say, you know what, it's going to it's going to cost you like $10 and six months on your work on your weekends. This is pretty cool. And then you can see, you know, like, is there value behind that and just, you know, keep moving forward. So that, yeah, sorry, I'm excited by this. Yeah, no, I'm excited too. And uh, since we're talking about Lima Charlie, something pretty exciting happened recently, didn't it? That's right. That's right. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about the race. <laughs> Oh, oh, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you tell us what happened and, and how that's going to help us move towards this this goal of growing this platform and, and kind of changing the way cybersecurity is done? Absolutely, absolutely. So, yes, we, we raised our, our Series A, um, which is kind of a big milestone for us. It, it, I think, demonstrates to some folks that, you know, it's not just a wild idea that it's kind of the it's the the obvious thing that's going to be tomorrow and it's it's a testament i would say as well to all of the users that have been on lima charlie some like i mean a lot since a really long time since the very early days where where the vision was not obvious at all which is uh which is kind of cool and so we raised 10 million dollars as a series a and what it's going to allow. Sorry, I, I don't mean to jump in, but 10.2, I don't want to be a 10. stickler. 10.2, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I round it. Uh, so yeah, we, we raised $10 million from ex mostly from existing investors, which again is, is really good because we've always been very transparent that look, we're, you know, this is the vision that we want to build. We're not looking for the quick out to sell to, you know, name your big vendor in the next year, right? Like we're really here to try to make that a reality. So it's really inspiring to work with people that, that, you know, you talk to and go like, yep, this is where I want you to go to and, and let, let's make it happen. So for us, it's just, it means expansion, right? Um, so yeah, we're going to be expanding across pretty much every conceivable access you can think of. Um, so, you know, like around like people. So we'll be expanding our teams around products, um, around name it, right? Like the, the technology, like the use cases, like everything's going to be moving forward. We will be, we'll be releasing this year, some, uh, some new big primitives. And again, you know, we're kind of putting our money where our mouth, uh, putting our mouth where our money is. No. Money where our mouth is. Money where our mouth is. Yeah. So the yeah. <laughs> the, the, the friend the, the Frenchie in me kind of comes out a little bit. So yeah, it, it's uh, we're going to be releasing those, and uh, and I think it'll be very cool for people to see that we're going to keep helping them. You know, reduce the number of vendors, simplify our stack, less management, all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's really exciting to be a part of and. You know, I really love thinking about the bigger mission and the kind of impact we can have on that. And uh, it's a real honor. So the last one I have for you, it's the one I ask of everybody on the show. It can be as wide or as narrow as you want. You don't have to talk about the SecOps Cloud platform. Do you have any predictions of the future for cybersecurity? Um, yes. Now that you mentioned it, I, I have 
heard you ask that question. Uh, I should have prepared. <laughs> yes. I think I, so there, I think there's another large trend that's going on um, that may not be obvious to people. And I think it's going to keep going in that way. And that trend is a movement from the, the entirely wild west ecosystems to very highly gated ecosystems. I'm not putting a value on, on, you know, whether that's good, that's bad, that's great, who should own it or not. I just think it's a reality that because more and more of what we do uses technology, every, like, I don't care if you're a hairdresser, right? Like you're still, you still have to deal with technology. It might be for your website, might be for like the way you do billing, like all that stuff, right? So th there's more and more of those and the value that historically we got from the Wild West ecosystem, what I mean by that is like, you know, the Windows PC of the, the early 2000s, let's say, right, where nothing needed uh, uh, digital signatures, you could run any code you want on your computer, it could go into kernel, yeah, go, you know, go wild, do what, do whatever you want. I, I, there's a lot of value behind that. But I think what we're seeing with things like, like iOS, Chrome OS, to a uh, you know, Mac OS, to a lesser extent, a little bit Windows, is that, you know, it's a funnel that's coming in to kind of a single point, which is we have to put some boundaries on it so that we, you know, we don't want to have to do cybersecurity in the Wild West. We, we want to have to do cybersecurity in a manageable way. And that's probably the the biggest way to do it in a – or, or the most scalable way to do it in a manageable way is to say – you know what, we do need, you know, file signature, we do need to have more tightened ecosystems. So I think it's going to keep going that direction. You know, 10 years from now, Mac OS and iOS are the exact same thing. But the other ones we'll see, but it's going to go in that direction. Wow, we went the whole time. Uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show, Max. It's always a pleasure talking with you and uh, very exciting to be on this journey with you, my friend. My pleasure. Thanks. Take care, sir. And that concludes this episode of the Cybersecurity Defenders podcast. If you have any feedback or ideas for future topics, please send an email to defenders at limacharlie.io. You can access the intel we talk about on the show in real time and join the conversation on the Lima Charlie community Slack channel at slack.limacharlie.io. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with someone or leaving a rating or review. And don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. Thanks for listening in. We'll see you on the next episode.